It, it looks like I actually work out. <laughs> but you do. I do. I've been, I turn over leaf. I'm trying to be like, yeah, but I do. You work out every day in your job. Yeah. yeah. Welcome, gentlemen. And when- episode uh, 119, Menace and the Man. Stan the Man, Dennis the Menace, Vicente yep. Luque, Doug the Elephant Slayer. What's going on? What's up? What's up? I heard Vicente and Luque was like the real fucking deal. <laughs> Dude, he's from, it's like, he's, he's from the hard streets of Brazil. Oh, no shit. He's one of those Vale Tudo fucking kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's bo- like I'm, every- I'm from everywhere. Born in Jersey, raised in Brazil. Dennis always puts me in a room full of dudes with cauliflower ear, and then ex- he expects me to like shut the fuck up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, real quick, let me do a little intro. So, uh, Doug Luque is a one seventy pound assassin. His his fight name is actually the Silent Assassin. He doesn't really speak that much, and he just really speaks with his words and just fucks people up. Vincente, what's your ranking now? Like three? Uh, I, I think I'm number four right now. Number okay. four, yeah. Um, with a solid win over, you just beat up uh, Michael Chiesa. Yeah. Nice. So and then uh, Luke, Doug, uh, Keir Sweater. How do you pronounce your last name? It's Keysweater, but it's just it's Jewish camouflage, you know. <laughs> uh, we call him Doug the the Elephant Killer. Uh, he's a special operations force. Yeah, I'm a Green Beret, um, but also I own a fitness company that basically allows me to vacation permanently. Don't ask my friends what I do. They're always like, oh, he's doing Doug stuff. Nice. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. If you need some protein, maybe we'll hook you up. Out of curiosity, if you fight at 170, what do you walk around at? Usually, uh, I'll train at 195. And right now... (laughs) I'm like 203, 204, but Jesus just because you know, I, I'm eating everything that I couldn't eat during during training camp. So <laughs> Good you're, for you. you're back in Brazil, right? Yeah, I'm back in Brazil already, yeah. So after your fight, you always go back to Brazil, right? Always. And nowadays, like most of my training camp is going is happening here in Brazil. Uh, maybe my last six fights has been like that. And I'm always back and forth between uh, Sanford MMA and Serato MMA. But my training camp, I, I've been doing it here lately, yeah. So is there you... something in Brazil that, like, as soon as you're done fighting, you're like, I'm going to get this that wouldn't be, you wouldn't get in the United States? Man, Brazilian food is a little bit different. So that I really like Brazilian food. I'll have, like, rice, beans. Farofa. I don't know if you know what that is. It's like a, like a powder made of, of yuca. Okay. It's, it's like really Brazilian. And then like steak, but Brazilian style steak with onions. A lot of salt. Yeah, it sounds pretty healthy though overall. Yeah. <laughs> sounds delicious. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> so how do you come up? Like, uh, did you come up in Brazil? Yeah, so I was born in New Jersey. My dad still lives there, and I moved to Brazil with my mom. She's Brazilian. I moved here when I was about six to seven years old, and then I grew up over here. But I've always had contact with my dad. I've always traveled to New Jersey. I have family over there. I have my grandfather. I have uncles and, and cousins in the, in New Jersey. So I've, I've always been back and forth between Brazil and the U.S., but mainly, you know, I, I grew up here in Brazil. 
And here's where I started fighting, started, you know, fighting MMA professionally. And then uh, my whole career before the UFC was all in Brazil. All my fights were over here. Uh, how many, like, like when do you start fighting? I started fighting professionally at 17. I had you started training. training at 15. Uh, I started training Muay Thai at 16. I started jujitsu and then I got right into MMA at 17. But my first kind of like connection with martial arts was through my mom. She's a black belt in karate. Oh, right. You said so, that. <laughs> yeah. When I was three to four years old, I was already getting into the mat and, and training a little bit of karate. So, Luke, your last fight, right, against um, – I keep trying to blank. Michael yes. Chiesa. Michael Chiesa. <laughs> he's actually – he's a homie. I like him. I love him. Listen, you've been on a show more than them. But he's been on the show. I was like, man, I don't. They're, they're both tough. We didn't but know who to Stan, pick. We didn't me know who Stan, to pick. No, but we say here we 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 kind of like broke it down. We're like, Kesa usually beats people like you know with some striking and like some grappling. And I was like, but Luke's got better striking and better jujitsu. Like, how does he? How does Kesa win? Unless like. He takes you into, into like deep water and gets you really tired. Where I'm like, Luke's got a good gas tank too. <laughs> you know, or yeah, catches yeah. you with something stupid like a fucking a Doris and a scramble. Like you wound up pulling out on him. Well, that was, it was so funny because Luke, I missed the the fight. I had my kids right, and then uh, Stan sent me the clip of Michael taking your back and like. He's got a really good rear naked choke in general, right? He gets a lot of finishes with those. So, like, boom, you're you're floating with him, you're floating with him. And then, like, I, I, I texted Stan, like, okay, you done? All right, let me show you how to really do jiu-jitsu. And, that, and that's you hitting with the Dars. <laughs> yeah, man, it was a crazy transition. And the thing is, uh, you know, I knew he was a great grappler, and I'm more of a striker. But because of that, I mostly grappled this training camp. So I grappled every single day, even on striking day. At the end, I would grapple, you know, like 15 minutes just to get you know, used to it. You know, just in my mind, I knew that it's, at some point in the fight, we were going to grapple. So I, I needed to get used to that. Yeah. And I grappled so much that at the end of the day, you know, that's how I won. I, I was able to invert the position, get into a good spot, and then get my, my darts in. So it was, you know, it paid off. All that grappling really paid off in the training camp. So I actually wanted to, like, hey, like, I'm proud of you. You actually, you said, hey, Kamaru, listen, we're buddies, but I'm ready for the strap. Because you're not a big talker. We spoke about this, right? We said, look, you should have, like, some some cool sunglasses or something like that. You're like, ah, it's not really my style. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't talk much, but I think what I when I talk, I talk what I feel that I've earned. And I do feel that I've earned, you know, a chance for the title because especially my style, I just go out there and, and I fight and I make it exciting. No, it doesn't matter who I'm fighting against. And realistically, I'm the only guy in up there, the top four that hasn't faced Kamaru. I'm coming off a good streak. So I think it's a, an exciting fight for him, for the UFC, for the fans out there, you know. And we spoke about that. You're very humble about your approach and everything like that. We're like, dude, you should fight for a title. And you're like, ah, I think I need one more. And then you got the one more, and now you're, you know, uh, and then like a, a, it wasn't like a a, a belt a nail biter decision. Like you were very dominant in your in your fight, you know. So and got the finish. 
Yeah, I mean, I even said I talked about that in the in the call out, kind of call out, you know, to Kamaru. He has been asking some welterweight to show him something, and I think I'm the welterweight that has been showing. You know, I'm not only winning my fights, I'm not only putting on a streak, but I'm finishing. You know, most of my fights, I have only one one decision in the UFC. All the other, all my other wins are by finish, and I think that's different. That's something you know that we don't see all the time in the UFC and at welterweight uh, right now at the top. So I think that's that's what I'm showing of different to the champ, and I think that kind of puts me up there, you know, to to challenge him next. So Stan's got a question for you. We spoke about it. Go ahead, Stan, about Jim Wars. Well, pretty much, kind of like I almost was going to say it like Chael Sonnen would say, like, sell this fight for me, Vicente. Like, did you have moments like Gilbert where you've gotten the better of Camaro in the gym? Like, I don't, obviously, we're not going to get the details and that, you know, much or of the story. The but I'll sell it uh, the best way I can do. And most of my what I remember is getting, you know, uh, not having a good time against Camaro in the sense, like, I didn't beat him in training. I was mostly beat in training, but I think that uh, that's part of it. I was growing up. I was, you know, growing in the sport, trying to become a better uh, fighter. And he had exactly, let's say, my weakest point was wrestling. That's why I love training with him. That's why I always try to work with him because he would beat me exactly in what I'm not the best at. And right now, I mean, I think I'm such a different fighter. So it's it's even changes. Like if, if he tries to... Uh, kind of remember that guy that he trained with and I'm a different fighter now, you know, I'm a different guy right now. So I think that makes it even more interesting because if we're going to take it, if people are going to just look at training tape and whatever we did in training, that's not what the fight is going to play, how the fight is going to play out. Uh, I'm a different guy right now. I think he has been evolving as well, putting on boxing. So if he's, he might be in there, you know, confident trying to strike against me and if that happens i would love that as well i mean i always want to have a, a striking match against anyone inside that octagon so yeah i mean i i wouldn't take our training so much into yeah who who was the best i would say he had the best of me in training but that's that's really different when it goes to fighting okay yeah <laughs> uh what was I wait, say? Wait, uh, wait wait that's all it right there absolutely like well, the, the yeah, thing is, he, he got also, the better of you in training, but you are a different guy. And then even something that I would throw in there is, how did you feel when you saw him and Gilbert fight? Like for you, I'm sure that was hand sweating. You know, I just yeah, watched that was, that him was, versus Gilbert right before we went on air. Yeah, that was really uh, a different experience. I think it's really good in the sense, like for me to face Kamaru, it's it kind of took all that thing of guy we were friends and and we used to train together and it's not going to be that weird as it was the first time I saw the two fighting because they were friends they trained a lot together I I think they still remain friends I mean that didn't change anything but it was weird to see the two of them fighting and really going at it and you saw I mean I I think they fought even harder than guys that are not friends would fight. You know, it was just like brothers fighting. They went at it and and Gilbert tried to take him out, you know, quickly. Then Kamaru went right back and hit Gilbert uh, and put him out. So I think that, I don't know, it was a different experience. I think it was good for me to kind of like get ready for that kind of atmosphere, that kind of, you know, a really competitive uh, 
I don't know. It's it's different when you know the guy, when you've trained with him, when you know what he wants to do against you, and he kind of knows what what your game is. It makes it much more competitive. It makes it much more like challenging. So I think that's that's what the atmosphere is going to look like whenever we face each other. But things like I was saying before, like right, let's say he got the best of you in in the training room, right? But that was with 16 ounce gloves on and shin pads and headgear. Now things change when there's no shin pads and only four ounce gloves. You know what I mean? And like both you guys possess knockout power, but you've you've shown it more than he has. You know, you've also shown more submissions than he has. You know what I mean? So like with smaller gloves, things change. You know, for sure. I think I mean. Realistically, they change both sides, so I, I wouldn't look at it as a. I'm not even going to think about what we've trained, what we've done together, because that's a different. Like when we're fighting, it's going to be different. He's going to be a different guy. I'm going to be a different guy, and and fight is fight, man. You know that. You you've been in there. A fight is different than training. No matter how hard we go at training, how you know, even if we we got some grudge with somebody that we're training it's different than if we were fighting them. So it's, it's a different situation, you know? And then also like, uh, like fights that I fought that I was supposed to lose. Kind of like I was supposed to lose. I was like, fuck it. I would throw wild shit out there, you know, like, you know, like hit up with some crazy. Yeah, when you say, I mean, everything's on the line when you're fighting, everything's on the line. So you don't really like, uh, some things you plan, some things are part of strategy. But other things you're just throwing out there when you see it, and, and it's different. It's different. Also, I'll say this. With Gilbert and you training with him so much, like you getting those rounds in with Usman, you learned some of your weakness that you now worked on and are going to take into that fight. With Gilbert, we learned the weakness, not even the weakness, but what happened to Gilbert in that fight was cardio. You know, he said it. He didn't recover after the first round going into the second round, then you saw that in the fight. So, Menace always like the one that's thing you can threshold. What do you Yeah, for sure. Now? I mean, yeah, I think cardio is a big thing. I mean, everything, you know, uh, at this high level, you can't kind of like make no mistakes. Everything has to be on point, be it uh, grappling, striking, cardio, everything. You know, you got to be ready for everything. But that's the thing, too. Like, at this point – like at that level, uh, everybody's making mistakes, right? Like you're rolling in there and you don't know it. You know, this dude, I, it always amazes me when I see guys like you that are like really methodical and you're like, Hey man, this is what I trained for. I know the guy I'm fighting, but then like for us, like I'm a fucking, I'm a consumer, right? I, I'm never going to get in the octagon. Like, it's just not my thing. But I see dudes, you know, that talk shit like I fucked your wife and whatever. And I'm like, does that really get in somebody's head? Because I just ignore the shit out of that. You know what I mean? But then you see dudes make more mistakes because they're thinking about that. Like, does that get in your head? Or, I mean, do you not even pick fights like that? Man, uh, it's hard for me. It's more like you said, like, I, I don't really care about what they say. I know that at the end of the day, they might be trying to sell a fight. They might be trying to get in my mind. And that's not going to change the outcome of what I'm going to do, you know. Uh, from scratch, when I sign a contract, I want to beat the guy I'm fighting. So if he says whatever of my family or if he tries to do anything, it's not going to change the fact that I want to go out there and beat him. From the first day I signed that contract, I want to beat him as bad as I can. I want to, you know, make him look like 
man, he never huh, should have stepped in there with me. And that's not going to change, you know, no matter what people say. So it's kind of like I just try to keep it, you know, my game plan. Uh, I've planned to beat this guy. I've planned to do this and that. That's what I'm going to do, regardless of, of what he uh, tries to put on me mentally or tries to, you know, any kind of game he wants to put. Because at the end of the day, my, my objective is the same, no matter what happens. Yeah, but Doug, it's a weird, like when people talk shit, I've always used it to like, not like affect me like emotionally. I, at first I'm like, you motherfucker, you know? And then it's kind of like, it just it's just like uh, when you're tired and like, uh, one more sprint, like fuck this guy. Like, I'm going to fuck this guy up. You know, but like you, but like Vincente go, said, I you go in still like even keel, you know. And you've seen guys, we've all seen guys kind of fight emotionally, and they like your gas tank gets hit so fucking hard. You know, you see you see it way more at a amateur level, you know. And then in terms of like we were talking about before, it's like at this level, it's it's not. Yes, there's a game plan. Everyone has a game plan. But it's kind of like who makes the first mistake, you know? And then they just start stacking, you know? Yeah, they just start stacking at that point, I guess. I mean, what I'm taking from this is that everyone here is willing to take a $10 million fight with a YouTube celebrity. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we talked about that last time. Oh, did you? Yeah, we're just waiting for that. He's waiting for the phone call. (laughs) <laughs> for sure. I mean, I, mean, I don't if, think Vincente talks about shit. Right, it's a big fight. We can do it. <laughs> but Vincente, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Let's say a bunch of bad guys or whatever you want to say just decided, hey, we're going to like just try to take over Brazil and just take over the government. How would that go? Man, uh, I don't know. I don't think it would go really well, especially because I don't know. Here, it's it's really tricky. Everything, you know. We we got we don't got like a population that is really ready for war or anything like that. But at the same time, we don't take shit, you know. So that's right about Brazilians. I've noticed you guys like you guys have like an ego kind of like what? No, like (laughs) exactly. I know. So like even if we have to go like with knives, we're gonna go out there and, and fight whoever is trying to take us over. So it's, yeah, I mean, we're, we we like to fight. It's We even enjoy, you know, we have fun. So if we got to go to war, we're going to go to war however way we can, with knives or with, with hammers, whatever. <laughs> so, Doug, what's going on in Afghanistan? I know you are. That's a good question. Who knows, man? I mean, Bob's your uncle. I don't, I mean, where do you want to start? I I thought we were talking about favelas. I didn't know we were talking about Afghanistan. I, mean, I, was, just trying to, I was trying to ask him. Listen, let's let's say. I feel like so. Am what I you're saying like if if the same thing going on in Afghanistan happened in Brazil, it'd be different. So I have a different take on that, which is to say that I think that an Islamic fundamentalist government is the desired government of the Afghani people. <laughs> And that most of them are comfortable with being told what to do and they want order and they don't want corruption. And the U.S. government. Yeah, the U.S. government sponsored a weak government that was corrupt and stole from the people for the last 20 years. And now what you're seeing is people that are like they're like, well, I'm not going to die for them. 
they stole a bunch of money and they left the country. So I'm pretty sure that the Brazilians, if they had a super corrupt president, they're not like, hey, man, bust out the hammers and knives to fuck these dudes up. They're like, well, we'll give them a chance. We, we know they're a law and order party. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Afghanistan's fucked up, man. It's a great country. It's super beautiful. The people You've are... You've been there how many times? Yeah, uh, twice. I love it. I mean, also, it's a nice place to visit. You wouldn't want to call it home. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. I mean, like, even the last time I was there in, like, 2009, um, it's a long time ago, um, like, <laughs> you drive down the one road in the country and you see a bunch of people living in ditches or, like, shanty houses or mud huts, uh, you know... Where did I meet you? Iraq? You met me in Iraq. Yeah, you met right. me in Iraq. Is it and similar to that? No, not at all. I mean, like, it's funny because the Iraqis, I've talked to a bunch of my Iraqi buddies because I posted some stuff about how, like, when when they show the video of the guys that were trying to jump onto airplanes to get out of the country and they're like, those people love freedom so much they're willing to risk their lives for it. I'm like, no, they don't know how airplanes work. They literally think that they're jumping on the back of a truck. Like when they took off and they realized there's no air, they're like, oh shit, but they're already dead. Um, like right. these are guys with no education. They, they can't read. They were born somewhere that like for them, like they confuse us with Russians pretty continually. Like guys in Kabul, not always, but like in general, it's a very uneducated populace. And the Iraqis aren't like that. I mean, we left Iraq officially in 2011 and we left a small contingent there. And then when ISIS invaded shortly thereafter, um, the Iraqis figured out how to get their shit together. They got help from Iran. They resourced help from the United States and European allies and they did it on their own. They basically pushed the ISIS back. Doing it the last twenty years is kind of like teaching them their. Wait, and even Vicente, this is what we we, we get Doug on the show because he's like our our CNN or our you know Fox, <laughs> our our news network. He gives us the real <laughs> And Vicente, well, that's, good, role, that's cool. And if you have any questions, hit Doug. Ask Doug. For sure. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a weird thing because we were training. I mean, we. Uh, Notionally, we train, we notionally train them, but figure this out. All right. So here's a big thing. When people were, when, when the president of the United States was talking about there being 300,000 Afghan military personnel that could stand up to the Taliban, the reality is it was probably less than a hundred thousand because the corruption that's in Afghanistan rewards commanders for reporting a higher number of soldiers that are present than actually are. So they're basically stealing the wages of their soldiers that don't even exist. They're like, oh, uh, Frank, Frank Smith, he just wasn't here today, but give me his check. I'll get it to him. Right. So then they show up to work in like a G wagon and they build their big ass house in the middle of nowhere and their soldiers see that. And then when that dude doesn't show up for the first gunfight in like 15 years, they're like, oh, fuck, we're going home, too. So like. These dudes, oh, this makes not, so much. Yeah. The way they laid down makes so much sense. I mean, I get that. Yeah, it, it, it's also funny because they thought they could run other places. And you look like we had Afghani Air Force planes flying to Uzbekistan. We had helicopters flying to Uzbekistan. Convoys trying to go to Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, and both they were basically like treat it they were like oh no you guys are gonna go right back and meet the taliban <laughs> you know like they don't we don't want you here either 
because they're like, well, fuck anywhere, but here is the right answer. And like, I don't blame them. Um, if, if there's any, it's very weird because I think the guys, there's a lot of brave dudes that fought against the Taliban, but I don't think they fought for like an idea of a unified Afghanistan. They fought for themselves. And a lot of like, a lot of the people that we allied ourselves with were very questionable in their ethics. So like when you look at the Taliban coming back and like the prisons getting cleared up, the dudes that are getting out of prison, you want to talk about people that have a grudge, like, yeah, man, that dude pulled all my fingernails and toenails out. He knocked all my teeth out. He like threatened to go and rape my sister or whatever else. Like I'm going to find that dude and I'm going to make him pay and his whole family. So real quick, I was talking with some guys at work and like, we don't know what the fuck we're talking about, but like one guy was kind of like, why, why is the United States like the, the, the main funding for policing all these smaller. That's a very good question. Country. Like, why, like, <laughs> like, right, we're, we're, we're in like a, an alliance with other people, but like, we're like the, let's say it's, uh, I don't know, a hundred trillion. Like we're paying like, I don't like 80 trillion versus like, Oh yeah, we're throwing some too. Like, why are we such well, like here, even Doug, you you don't need to confirm or deny this, but <laughs> I, I've heard like the conspiracy or I've heard even military people say this, that initially when we were in Afghanistan or Iraq, we were guarding like the poppy fields to control That's Afghanistan, like, Afghanistan. We, it's a, rumor or potentially a true thing that we were guarding the poppy fields to control the drug trade. So we might not have been guarding them, but we certainly weren't, we were certainly directed by our partner force to areas where the poppy fields weren't as prevalent, but I mean, there were huge programs to do deforestation, like uh, basically killing poppies and all that other stuff. The DEA was there, the FBI, I mean, there's there's lots of partner organizations that were trying to destroy the drug trade. To be perfectly honest, I think that's one of the biggest disservices we did to ourselves is we literally went after their number one cash crop. And the only way to make money for people that wanted to stay was to get on the government tit and figure out how to take, you know, bribes and steal money to support their families because they couldn't raise poppies anymore. So that is I mean, a real that's thing, a, yeah. It's, That's a, what it's the a blanket statement about is why do we go over there? And I said to him, maybe the poppy fields. I know obviously oil. It's worth noting that the president of Afghanistan, Hamid Karzai, the one that we put in place, was very closely related to a variety of well-known drug and gun traffickers from the South. So it's not like he had the cleanest fucking hands. You know what I mean? I also, what's what's the batteries we use? Like the very good batteries. Stan, the very good batteries, lithium. Yeah, the, lithium. I heard there's big lithium mines there too in Afghanistan. There's a ton of resources in Afghanistan. I don't know. I think that we're too. America's weird because we're not imperialists, but we act like imperialists. So we go and we invade these places, and we say we're going to bring them democracy. But we don't like it when their choice is the bad guy, like people we don't like. It's like, all right, man, so you chose the Taliban. Congratulations on your new government. This is what democracy looks like. I'm going home. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, enjoy your new masters. I don't care. You picked them. If you look at Iraq, um, I mean, the Iraqi parliament voted in a ton of people that actively resisted the U.S. occupation. 
Um, I mean, they're folk heroes. And I think that's great. I think that having a parliament full of people that disagree with us is a true mark of the fact that we've told these people that their opinions matter. Um, Afghanistan, ooh, it's a, man, it's, it's crazy. Because, you know, I mean, like, the Pakistanis basically bolstered the Taliban for the last 15 years because they wanted to protect Pakistan and Waziristan. They basically want to maintain control over their tribal lands like Waziristan. And now that the Taliban has control over Afghanistan, the Pakistanis are getting nervous because the Taliban stopped listening to anything the Pakistanis told them. So it looks like the Pakistanis might have to push troops into the tribal area, which means that they weaken their presence in Kashmir where they already have a conflict with the Indians. So like, Hey, what's the next step? They're going to get spread thin. They said, does that mean that there's going to be a nuclear conflict between India and Pakistan? I mean, they hate each other, man, like real bad. So who knows? But I mean, I think that it's interesting that Russia and China both jumped in and in like basically recognized the new Afghani government. Um, They're expressing a willingness to work with the Taliban. I have, I mean, if we want to talk about conspiracy theories, I think it's probably credible that the Chinese rolled in and offered a lot of money to pay off government officials to hand over well, the keys to the China's city. The biggest consumers of lithium, like I was saying before. Well, and the Chinese already have a very strong economic hand in Afghanistan. They always have. They don't need to send troops there because they control basically all public works and development. And they've been just going in there and they sign contracts, they bring cash, then they leave. They don't need to go to war. Um, so, I mean, it'll be interesting. I think that the it, it's funny because everybody said they didn't think that Afghanistan would cave this fast. And I think the funny part is it, it certainly looks like crooked politicians in Kabul were happy to send the only units that they knew would fight the Taliban to far-flung areas like Herat and Kandahar and leave them isolated without supplies and reinforcements so that they knew that they'd get crushed. And by the time the Taliban made an advance on the the capital, it would just be over. You know what I mean? So I was on the phone with my uh, younger brother. He's in the Coast Guard. Obviously, they don't really deal with that kind of shit. But just he paid attention to the things. He was just saying that the the reason why we bounced, right, the peace agreement was – expired that was iraq for sure we had a status of forces agreement that expired in iraq and it was just the logical thing to do i mean we have peace agreements with the taliban and that's what so we've been negotiating with the taliban in qatar for i don't know what four years now um trying to represent a transitional government and i think that the word on the street was that there had been an agreement that was met and that the taliban was going to come to the table and create a joint government with the existing government of so Afghanistan. Wait, wait, wait. Is the Taliban basically a group of guys that got together and were like, yo, we're fucking government people or something. We're just a moving what, country. Like, are they like the bloods or the crips? Like they're a gang that just um, taking over I think countries. That it's more complicated than that. I mean, the Taliban has always been, well, not always, but the Taliban has been in Afghanistan for a very long time. Um, they're kind of like, they're, I'm going to get into muddy water here because I don't know the full details, but I know in the wake of the Mujahideen kicking the Russians out of Afghanistan, that left a lot of room for Islamic fundamentalism. And the Taliban came in with influence from Wahhabists from Saudi Arabia and created kind of their perfect 
utopian government in Afghanistan, a place where the people were open to it and there wasn't a lot of resistance. Um, that created a breeding ground for terrorist training camps. And that's why in the wake of 9-11, we targeted Afghanistan to eliminate terrorist training camps. Um, I mean, we won the war. I think what's the funniest in all this is if you look at like what's happening, have you guys heard of a guy named um, Masood? Um, he's like... Uh, Ever heard of anyone called Masood? Yeah, he's, uh, he's literally... No, Masood's like the most famous Afghan of all time. There's like pictures well, of him. I watch like Netflix before I go to bed and I watch that for like 20 minutes and I'm out. There hasn't been a movie about him yet, but his name his he was Ahmed Shah Masood and he was super progressive. He was pro women going to school, pro equal rights, pro democracy. He was the leader of the Northern Alliance. The Northern Alliance were the guys that were resisting the Taliban in Afghanistan in 2000, like they had been for years. And the day before um, the day before the planes hit the Twin Towers, we won't get into other conspiracy theories, um, a crew of fake newsmen with a, a camera that was a bomb assassinated Ahmed Shah Massoud because it was viewed by um, Osama bin Laden that he was the only real threat to the Taliban in Afghanistan. So he was assassinated. And then the special forces teams that infilled into Afghanistan in 2001 were all partnered with the Northern Alliance. Well, predominantly partnered with the Northern Alliance. So the Panjshir Valley is the home of Ahmed Shah Massoud. His son um, is now currently leading the only resistance in Afghanistan. The last remnants of the Afghan National Army, the last remnants of the Special Operations Kandaks, they've all rallied in the Panjshir province. It's the only province. How deep are they? Um, I don't know. It's really crazy to tell because there's rumor all over the place. I mean, who knows? Well, I that's mean, my thing, too, with the Taliban. How deep are they? No one really knows. I mean, like, it's there are estimates that range from, like, forty to 75,000. But, I mean... So you know, quick, I got a question. Yep. The Taliban is that what? What do what the Muslims pray to? Allah. Uh, Allah. But it's, Allah, they worship the same God their, Christians what's do. What's their literature? The Quran. The Quran is the Taliban just people that looked at the Quran like, oh, that's what this means, and we're going to go this way. I'm going to make a really unpopular parallel. The Taliban are basically Southern Baptists, but they worship for yeah, them. But they, they interpret the <laughs> Quran in such a way, and that's the way they act. That's what yep, they see. That's they're fundamentalists. They're fundamentalists who believe pretty much. I think that like the Taliban and a lot of very rural Christians would get along a lot better than they think they would. You know, like they don't want women to go to school. They they want men to own property. They want to carry guns everywhere they go. And uh, they don't like to be told what to do. Like also, you know, because they were raised in a stone age culture, they're much more violent and they don't have the same value of life that we do as Westerners. So a lot of what they do doesn't make sense to us. But then when you look at it and you realize like none of them can read, they were raised in a really savage culture. I mean, it makes a lot more sense. So I, I got, a couple more things. So well, here, Vicente, one, you're right. good, right? 
I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm learning a lot, man. I'm having fun here. You could, well, like that's I what said, me and Menace were wondering. Is this educational questions? or is this like Vicente's like, get me the fuck out of here? I mean, I'll no, just say no, this. No, you uh, you could give me a chainsaw and a machine gun. I still wouldn't fuck with the Vicente. <laughs> I'm like, nah, bro, it's all good. We're friends, right? <laughs> uh, pretty soon, Vicente might be the welterweight champion. So you might be like, I sat there and gave him some some world knowledge. <laughs> But even this is what Doug always does. He comes and drops us off some gems. But like a thing I wonder, even with the Taliban, like what, what Menace was saying is how big are they? And how do they come in and take over a government? Is that like, so we- Well, like you just said, Stan, like- No, but here's what I'm saying. Like, general so, is, you know- I don't think that they came in and did anything. Here's a, ch- here's a ticket. This didn't happen in two weeks, right? Like, if you look at it, they've been running shadow governments all over Afghanistan for the last 20 years. The people of Afghanistan, they like strong leadership and they like rules and they like the idea of equity. So the idea that, like, the thing that sucks about a central government in Afghanistan is that the central government doesn't represent all the clans and people equally. So like for them, the central government is living in opulence. They're rich. They, they don't care about the people in the far flung areas of the country. Most of the country doesn't even know they fucking exist, but the Taliban is there. They show up a dude who has education, who has the Quran memorized comes into their village and is like, I'm the head cheese. Now, if you fuck with me, I cut your head off. And everybody's like, well, all right. And then he holds court and he solves disputes and he brings resources in from outside that helps them. All the things that the U.S. claimed to do, but really the U.S. was just bringing in money and empowering corrupt guys, right? I was going to go here in terms of like, I, I follow a couple pages like Nature is Wild, Nature is Metal, where like they just show like animals just fucking up other animals, really. You know, I just like dominance. Yeah, I mean, and that's essentially whether it's survival or like breeding rights. It's just like, yeah, like lions slashing lions and their fucking intestines hanging out, you know? And like to us Westerners, right? They're like, oh my God, that's just so cool. It shouldn't be like that. But in Taliban or like in Afghanistan, it's just like, I'm the big dog. Like, this is like, stop me. There's uh there's only one way to deal with it. And I don't believe that anybody in the West has a stomach to deal with it. And I think that like, if you look at history, um, you know, you've got Genghis Khan, a lot of the Mongol hordes, a lot of the like movements of Eastern militaries that came into the West were only stopped by equally vicious and unpleasant Westerners like Charles Martel. People are like, I don't know. That guy seemed like a good dude. Probably not a good dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he had what it took to stop him. And I don't know if there's like a the I think that this idea that there's an Islamic caliphate that's breeding is a little I think it's a little far fetched. I mean, I think that ISIS is a pretty good example of that in the sense that most of the Middle East was really primed for that from what we did in the Arab Spring. Like everybody was like quick before we kind of advance, like in terms of like I'm dumbing things down, like. Yeah. Like, I'm like, so in terms of like, when the United States came over to Afghanistan, they kind of like, hey, we're here. We're kind of, it wasn't like, hey, we're here. Like, let's have tea. It was like, we're here. Like, oh, we're he-. like, no, you're not. And there was, there was war. We were like settled in there. We, no? 
but we were gods. Like when we showed up, we we showed up with the Northern Alliance and we brought fucking laser guided bombs and AC one thirties. And we basically fucked those dudes up. Like there was like 30 dudes on the ground. And exactly what I'm saying. We came in with dominance. Like, yo, we're here. Like, like chill. Otherwise there'll be more of this shit. Dude, think about it, man. It's like these dudes have been living in caves their entire lives, and then they meet a dude on horseback who doesn't look anything like them, and he goes in god mode, and he just, like, sends a fucking laser over to a hill and kills everybody there, and people are like, holy shit, that's big magic. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, I mean, yes, that's what happened, and then we slowly rolled that back by becoming an occupation, a force of occupation, and, like, the our cultures are just so different. We're never going to we're never going to understand what drives them. And I think in a lot of ways, bringing that, that is one of the biggest fundamental arguments I've lived all over. I lived in a lot of places in the Middle East. And one of the biggest fundamental philosophical arguments between um, academics in the Islamic world and academics in the Western world is the idea of modernization without Westernization, because people want phones and TVs and cars and refrigerators, but with all of that come titties and fucking pornography, booze, all of the shit that like makes people sacrifice their morality because, you know, like I had an Afghan dude one time, he is real. He was always about how he was a Westerner. And he's like, how do we make our women act like American women? Cause I want to fuck. And I was like, bro, it's called, it's called birth control, man. Like once the women have control of their reproductive system, then they want to fuck. But if, if they think that every time you bang them, they're going to get pregnant and have another kid. That's not positive reinforcement. <laughs> they don't know. They don't have a strong pullout game in Afghanistan. I don't, uh, I don't think so. I think that um, you can't show no. them that trick. Like, hey, come in this room. I'll show you something. I think it's so common you're about in Afghanistan this- culture to have like 12 kids, 20 kids. It's also having a family means that you have money. And so a lot of the younger dudes that I mean, hence why you have a very predatorial culture where men are forcing themselves sexually on younger men. And why there's a ton of bestiality going on where like farm animals and such mm. are the the. They're, uh, uh, you know, any port in a storm as it was. We don't have socks, so we use goats. (laughs) I love the way everybody goes. The way, like, so Joe Biden was on TV and he was like, nah, nah, nah. They got troops and they're going to hold strong. They're not going to get taken down. I also was told he was, like, legit reading. Like, you could see his eyes. But it's you ever seen like, a, by the like time it was his got, own thoughts. By the time he got done with that interview or press briefing, the government fell to the Taliban. So it's weird, man. I saw a pretty funny meme the other, earlier today. It was like a telephone game, and it was like troops on the ground. The Afghan military will never be able to stand on its own. And then it's like diplomat says well you know we need x y and z and they'll be ready in three to four years and then the next person's like hey they're almost ready and the next guy's like they can totally stand on their own and then you got a politician who's like the afghan government will never fall to the taliban and you're like man that's how it works right is the guys on the ground are straight up saying fuck this they'll never be ready they don't have leadership they don't know how to use their resources i mean the reality is that the United States has been so like, are you guys familiar with 
the Joint Regimental Training Center or the National Training Center. They're both they're fake war games that we run here in the United States um, to train up large scale units on how to like get ready for like near peer conflicts. Um, the military's been treating Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq like forward JRTC, forward NTC for the last decade. It's just a really good training ground for guys to get experience in the real world and be better soldiers in general. So I think that from a funding standpoint, we didn't want to leave because for us, you know, like there's a lot of money that goes into that. And then from the other side of the coin, like, where are you going to train? Are we going to go back to canned training here in the United States that isn't as good? Or are we going to keep the blade sharp somewhere where we have reasonably low casualties and we're able to like fight against a proactive enemy? Um, When you say it like that, it has a, bitter taste <laughs> but the reality is like it i'm also like like real quick when i was training for fighting like there were guys that were really 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 good training partners and i liked training with them and they were like good for me and like the opportunity arise like i wouldn't try to hurt that and then there were some guys that were like this kid's never gonna even be pro let me try to finish him today yeah. Like he's, 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 you know, replaceable. Oh, I'm so glad. Better, I'm so know? glad that I never trained at a professional level fighting. <laughs> People Vincente, is that, is oh that crazy God, that or no? Me, that was me. Uh, man, I don't know. Uh, I'm was a that, nice guy. Was that, was that I'm crazy? a nice guy. So <laughs> no, towards the end of my career, because like, like when you start training to finish people, like, dude, at Kings MMA, that's what they do. All all their sparring sessions, like you can be like his best training partner, and fucking Fabricio is trying to fucking flying knee you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's what, real. What, if if we have knee guards, I'll I'll throw flying knees, no problem. Yeah, and but if, it, if something happens for the right. physical KO of his training partner. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if smart, I do it. I don't know if I do it. There are gyms that do not. that. Well, Vicente, like, Vicente when you and Gilbert were yeah. sparring, were you guys trying to knock each other out? <laughs> not not intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> so if it happens, it happens. But wait, we, did I wait? Did I say man. Gilbert or Kamara? I said Kamara, right? No, you said no, Gilbert. You said Gilbert. You oh, said I'm Gilbert. sorry. I meant to say Kamara. My brain started rattling it back. I was talking about Kamara. Well, you and Kamara no, I mean, trying me and Kamara, no, we, we went hard today, but I think me and Gilbert, we, we go harder. I mean, me and Gilbert, we're always, we always, we like to train, man. We have fun, and I don't know. Sometimes he tries to knock me out. I try to also, knock him out, but, yes, it's, yes. but it's, but it's very heavy like, hands. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like even if he doesn't want to knock you out, he might knock you out by accident. Yes, yes. And how also, you, like I was going to say, how do you, you guys were two different shit. weight classes for a long time. Yeah, yeah, you used to be a 155er. Yeah, yeah so it's like, time. well, we don't, we'll never fight, so fuck it. <laughs> Not yeah. But how do you avoid and training then- injuries? Like, for me, the biggest reason I didn't want to fight, like, a lot of dudes, like, Dennis met a couple of my buddies that love to roll and fight, right? And for me, I see so many training injuries in guys that are training for, you know, combative stuff like jujitsu, et cetera. Um, 
for me, I'm like, man, my job is more important than getting fucked up, but your job is to get fucked up. So like, how do you avoid getting fucked up when you're training for a fight that pays? Right. There's, there's two things been said there, right? Just the proper, like, you know, stretching and shit like that. And like, that's the gayest answer you've ever given. (laughs) And then also like just your knowledge, like knowing the positions and, you know, and also too, weird. Like, let's say I'm right. going at you and you're going like really, really hard. And like uh, you can like, I'm not going that hard, but you're like, let me like, you might get yourself hurt because yeah, yeah you want to be that fucking yeah. douche. Like, all right, let's, let's, let's go there then. You got, you got like the physical therapy and every kind of prevention you can do. But what I do in training, like I, I'm never training. I don't know, like if it weren't like for real. I'm always in there for real. And I know that guy, if if I'm training with whoever, even the guys that I know that are not going to hurt me, I'm always like ready for them to put some kind of crazy position and do some kind of, you know, nasty thing that is going to hurt me. So I'm always aware of my body and so making pride, sure that right? I'm in good. Yeah, yeah. Say pride. Like, let's say someone gets me some kind of weird ankle hawk. All right, I'll just tap real quick. Like, if it's really fight night, I know in my head, like, listen, I'm going to fight that one out. But, like, we'll yeah, go I mean, around. If you get me I, an I again, don't like ankle locks. You know, my, my ankles. Does anybody like ankle locks? I think a lot. So I'll tap right away if somebody gets me on an ankle lock in training. I'll tap right away. Fighting is different. But in training, there's no reason why I got to, you know, try to. I don't know. Show that I can take that shit. No, I'm gonna tap. Yeah. Well, train quick, uh, Doug, ankle locks like in jiu-jitsu, it's considered like a cheap submission. Would you say, Luke? Oh, I'm well aware. Yeah, I know because I'm like yeah, yeah. fucking ankle lock. Wait, <laughs> when we're sparring you for ankle lock, and I know you might fuck my shit up. I'm blasting you really hard in the face, <laughs> and you're gonna like, like you can commit and just try and keep taking them, but I'm fucking. Get the fuck off me. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Loro Menace. How Loro, once you start, go, well, back in the day, when you start going with Mark Pascal Val and giving him a little bit of trouble, he goes, all right, we're going to the favelas, and he starts going for leg locks. <laughs> yeah, but he would, like, go with it before he even, like, huh? Yeah, like, he would, he would, lock it in. Like, he would he leg lock you and then go up. Before he even did it, like, I, I almost broke your shit. I let you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we switch we switch lanes real quick. Let's so I love switching uh, lanes. Doug, Doug for president. What does United <laughs> States? Oh Jesus Christ! Nobody with a brain wants to be president. Look at how bad you get beat up by everybody. You know what I mean? So real quick, I like we've spent trillions of dollars right for over the last twenty years protecting right Afghanistan. You don't want to hear my opinion. I agree. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, we probably have opinion. the same opinion because my, I'm a little cold blooded, and my like da- my dad we're not paying our military to be over there, nope. and if all of them died, I I think I about ninety percent of them. I think about ninety percent of the money that we spend that is taxpayer dollars is misappropriated and is grossly misspent in a way that doesn't benefit the taxpayers of America. And I think that if we were being perfectly honest, we would be cutting a shit ton of spending and redirecting it back where it matters into infrastructure and jobs. And I mean, that's not even 
me being as and it's, it's not even in me being as adamant as I want to be. I mean, if we talk about man, oh, Jesus Christ, we could go down a crazy road, but like president after president has cut deals with other countries to cut away manufacturing to protect other manufacturing. The U.S. auto industry exists because we offshore textiles and other manufacturing to China in an agreement so that we wouldn't get into a tariff war, right? So like we can't do certain things here in the United States anymore that we used to be really good at. And we don't have anybody to do them. We don't have the equipment to do it. And I sit here and think about the trillions of dollars we spent on fruitless wars. And I realize that it's kind of like the war on drugs, where we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars to criminalize an activity that should just be regulated and taxed. And it's like, hey, man, let people do what they want to do. We don't we, we should be encouraging people to be productive. We should be rewarding people for doing well. And we should be helping people that aren't doing well do better. And we're not doing any of those things. We laugh at people who are doing poorly. We tell them that they should be pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, which is fucking bullshit. You know what I mean? Like what bootstraps? Like I'm successful because my parents were successful because I went to college because I joined the military because I had the ability to do it. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't look now, at some quick. dude. Yeah. And I think we're always kind of in war. I think I learned this in maybe eighth grade social studies. Like when we're in war, the economy does better. Uh, so it's because we dump a fuck ton of money into things that are related to American manufacturing, defense spending. We put people there. We have contractors who are Americans there making money. I mean, yes, we're spending a fuck ton of money on the economy. And that's why we came out of the Great Depression and World War II, right? Like all that to be said, Young dudes always want to test their metal. Remember, like, how old were you when you're an ultimate fighter? 24. And you wanted to fight every motherfucker, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, you had like a fucking hard on to fight every dude. And you're what, 30, 34 now? 10 years later, you're a little more metered in who you want to fuck up, right? I'm meaner? Metered. Like, you choose. Oh, you want yeah. To fuck up. yeah. Before like, I you know, last like year and a half of my career, I'm like, this guy's good. <laughs> I don't like he's gonna give me a problem. I don't really want to like the older you get, the better you get. I mean, like, if you look at the old Brazilian dudes, like you got fucking like, hoist fucking how old is that dude? Luke? I don't know. He's on the fifties, I think. Oh, I mean, and then his his dad, what is a really or what's it? Uh, Helio, right? Yeah, Helio's in his seventies or something. No, Helio died. He was oh, did he? ninety four. All right, there you go. But he he was rolling all the way till he died, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was badass motherfucker. But also, like, we don't we get better at war when we get older, but we also become more tempered in who we want to fight. And, like, I look at the dudes that I fucked up in Afghanistan, and I'm like, I don't feel bad about it. But I know that they woke up, and I woke up. We both had guns. We both showed up in the right place at the right time, and I got lucky. I mean, I was probably a little better than they were. But also, I got lucky, (laughs) you know? And I don't see the point in spending trillions of dollars so that some redneck fuck from West Texas, like me, can show up and live out his childhood fantasies. Which there's a lot of people that are like, what? What'd they do over there? Like, send me over there right now. I want, oh, like, I need a reason. Bro, to- well, here's the thing even with this. So the, the Taliban has taken over Afghanistan. There's probably a lot of military people that are like, wait, I thought we already fucked these guys up. And they probably feel 
some type of way about that. So uh, Tim, dude, put out a post like about like uh, dude. Tim's post our- was fucking solid as fuck because he was straight up like, "Hey man, I'll get the boys together, but you got to come with us." Talking to the politicians, and I was oh, like, "Yes, he's like, I'll fuck put, yeah, I'll get a uh, helicopter." Yep, we'll go fuck these dudes up. Oh, but you're coming with us. Tim Kennedy's post. Yeah. Yes. Well, no. Then he had another post today, like about like uh, like a suicide hotline for uh, military, you know. And this right with all the media and stuff like that, I'm sure, and and us pulling out like a lot of vets are probably like, dude, I lost bros over there. We're just gonna let it I go like it, that. Like my well, that's what I was saying. There's probably people that are like, no, no, no. Go back and guys, what we guys take it super seriously, man. But the reality is you can't kill your way to victory, right? This is Vietnam. If you look at Vietnam, we we fucking stack bodies and we didn't win because the enemy is dedicated to a cause. We don't have a cause. We can't even state a clear in state in Afghanistan. What do we want? A democracy. We want girls in school. We want them to be able to vote for their future. Well, they did vote for their future, man. They got the fucking Taliban. So let them fucking have it. And there's, you know, like I used to think John Kerry was a fucking raging pussy. I mean, to be fair, he's I still kind of think he's a pussy. I, I still think he's a pussy. Yeah, how many but he do? during Vietnam, he straight up said he's like, uh, what was his quote was, how do you ask the last man in Afghanistan or the last man in Vietnam to die for a mistake? And like, that's where I'm sitting in Afghanistan. And I was like, dude, I got I, I dude, I've seen a lot of heroic activity. Uh, we did a lot of good stuff. We tried to make a difference. But in the end, if you can only swim upstream so long. And, like, how many good dudes do you want to see their lives ruined? I mean, I got a divorce. I mean, part of it was my behavior. Part of it was that I was gone all the fucking time. You're wild. I got my shit together, man. Like, I mean, like, my, I love my kids. I still fucking love my ex-wife. I, like, try to be a good co-parent, you know? Like, but I watch other dudes their fucking lives get flushed down the toilet because all they want to do is go back there and fight. And like, I get it. I want to go back too. Check going back there and fight too. Is there a big what? Check. No, not really. Guys just want to well, go. I know. You, I know when you're overseas, right? There's you. All the money you make is not taxed. So correct? if you make a bonus while you're deployed, then that's tax free too. But the bonuses, if you really break them up over the length of time that you're committing, they're not it. that much. No, I mean. It's enough to buy a Ford Raptor when you get home that you're never going to drive because you're going to be gone all the time. Well, it's a lump sum. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, guys, go for it. You know what I mean. Even one thing I was joking with Menace. I was they're like, young. Oh, I don't, like, I don't know what Doug before, right? did. Maybe Doug trained the Taliban. Like the head of the Taliban is going to be on TV. Like this is the new. This is the new Taliban leader. Doug. He trained. To us. be fair. To be fair, we joke in special forces all the time because we train guys in countries all over the world. And the joke is you don't train them so good that you can't kill them later because yeah. the, the, tide, the tides change, man. Sometimes a guy's your friend one day and he's the bad guy the next. Well, so that's like, what bin Laden was, right? Uh, in some ways. I mean, bin Laden was part of the Mujahideen movement. He was sponsoring that when they were fighting the Russians. But I mean, I think that we're still, we're living in a weird, a weird this is the greatest peace we've ever had. I know we've had a war for 20 years, but it's been a low it's been a low intensity conflict. We've only lost like 4,000 guys wait, wait, in the last I'm 20 sorry. years. Even, even Saddam, didn't we train or weren't we in, involved with Saddam too? It depends on who you ask. I'm pretty sure that the CIA gave him a nod to uh to invade Kuwait, but that's a different 
story for a different time. I think that we definitely provided we provided aid to the Iraqis during the Iraq-Iran war because we wanted to see both of those countries beating the shit out of each other because we didn't want either of them to gain too much fucking power in the region. Realistically, we're some dirty motherfuckers, United States. We usually have yes. our hands in everything. We're, we're gangsters. That claim to be like superheroes, right? Am I wrong? It's funny to me when people say that we need to be in the Middle East to destabilize Iran because Iran getting too much power is bad for us. And they say, well, Iran shouldn't be involved in their neighbor's business. And I'm like, well, what about the Marshall Plan? What do we do in Central and South America for fucking, you know, 70 years? The United States was involved in all of the like changes of power in Central and South America. And like we had no business being there. Imagine I mean, how strong we'd be. I mean, we're str- whatever, if we're strong, but how powerful we'd be if we never did all this bullshit and never it's went also, to the countries. So the counterpoint to that is the reason that we're as wealthy as we are is because we've gone into all these countries and fucked with them. <laughs> you okay. know what I mean? It's kind of manipulated it to our favor. But we tell ourselves the lie that it's freedom and, and you know, democracy. But, I mean, we don't even live in a democracy in the United States. We live in a corporate oligarchy. But did we drain <laughs> Afghanistan for its resources? No, that's the fucked up thing, Stan, is if we did, I wouldn't feel so bad about it. But there are no good – it's not like we took good contracts or we had mining machines stealing all the lithium. You know, oh it's not God. like – my brain yeah. just went off. So basically what we did there is we went over there with these big trillion dollar contracts and the contracts were probably bullshit where like Hunter Biden and fucking Jericho or fucking whoever got the contract. Everybody did well except the enlisted dude on the ground. And the taxpayer. Oh, dude, taxpayers don't know, though. I mean, it, I mean, I love that I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, God, I'm so glad this war's over. Now we can put all this money into schools and, ed, you know, and like roads. And I'm like, what money, motherfucker? It's gone. <laughs> they're like, they're like, but we're paying taxes. I'm like, yeah, you got to pay the bill for the last 10 years, man. Like, that doesn't mean that we just we we've just been shitting money. We printed it for the last eight years. When does it end? You know, I mean, like your house is worth a hundred percent more than it was two years ago. Is it because the market's crazy or is it because we're seeing inflation on luxury goods? We don't know yet. And so like, here's where we could not end it, but get close to the end. Like, <laughs> Doug, how close are we? Cause you, I think you may have a little bit more of an ear to the grindstone or the streets, whatever it would be for this to like collapse. Cause I see it fit right man. now. There's people like me, Dennis, Luke, a, possibly you, who are out in the world and we're carrying on our day-to-day lives. Then there's another large portion of people that are like, no, shit's about to collapse tomorrow and people are like doomsday prepping. Everyone well, my, has brother, no shit my brother day. was saying kind of like, listen, you know, ending war is, it's ugly every time. No, no, no. Like, I'm, no, no, no. I'm talking about the United it, States, Dennis. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Stan. Here's the thing. I don't want to bet and I don't want to guess because I hope that it never happens. As somebody who's spent a significant amount of time watching other societies fall apart, like I'm a I'm a law and order kind of dude. I'm like, man, let us not have to deal with the same shit that the Iraqis dealt with in their streets. Like the second that people start really fucking each other up outside of like as long as it stays in Flint, Michigan, maybe it's not something we really have to worry about. But well, when it starts to like- spread 
you have a great mind for it, Doug. Like the Great Reset and things like that. Are they real things? I mean, it's a good question. I don't know. I mean, we'll say this. I don't know how much being prepared is going to help anybody when that time comes because it's going to be so fucking universal. Like everybody's going to get fucking owned. Like nothing you have is going to be worth anything anymore. It doesn't matter if you've got gold and ammo and guns. They're going to be, there's going to be a fucking Negan who gets together with some of his homeboys and he comes and just takes your shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know. Like, yeah, well, you have guns and ammo. Can't you defend that? Or you're saying it's just by yourself? Much of a force. You got to have an army, man. You yeah. know what I mean? So, like, I mean, and then it's going to be like. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and now you just segued and you just circled this whole episode now. So, like I was saying, you got to have an army. The Taliban is that Whether like a group of aliens, guys. Whether and Dennis or... and you form a group like that. Uh, we're going to have to start it on a compound where we also recruit a variety of hot chicks to be our wives. Yeah. It's so polygamous. Polygamy is the only way for the great reset in my mind. <laughs> Luke is married. Luke just had a kid. I'm Luke, married. I'm married a, how old your kid now? He's only three months. He's not even he the three States. months yesterday. <laughs> Congratulations, Luke. That shit is Thank fucking you. badass, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. So. Things are going being to a dad, change here. Being a dad is literally the best thing that can ever happen. And if you ask, when we talk about, I, I'll make a statement about the whole Great Reset thing. I get real annoyed with a variety of people that spend all their time and resources planning for a Great Reset. It's almost like they hope that it'll happen. And I'm like, hey, man, you don't want that shit. You know what I mean? It's like, just because I roll Monday, Wednesday, Friday at a local jujitsu gym doesn't mean I want to climb in the motherfucking ring with any of you fucking animals because I know I'll get my ass handed to me. I'm a fucking, I'm interested in it. It's exciting to me, but I'm not a professional. And when people are like, hey, man, I hope society collapsed so that I can like, you know, use all the dried food I have and like use my gun. And I'm like, no, bro, you are going to be fucked. <laughs> Because it is bad for everybody. And if you look, like the Taliban, <laughs> the dudes that occupied Kabul have clearly never been in a real fight. They're fresh recruits. They've been trained in Pakistan and other places. They look like fucking morons. They just got lucky that they joined the, the cause at the tail end of a 20-year conflict. Because almost every dude that was involved in that fight against us is dead. And when you look at the Iraqis that fought their own civil war against ISIS, every dude that I knew who is solid, like a skilled practitioner of the war, like of, of the art of war, is dead. Because it's not a game that you live in for a long time. And if you do it every day and you are literally like moving from place to place to avoid dying, you can only do that for so long. I mean, right. Osama bin Laden. Well, yep. even you spoke of luck before. I've heard other marines that i've known actually say things like that like i'm alive because i'm lucky I've but how long can you be lucky people i'm lucky to be here right how long what what the snake eyes you win or snake eyes you lose and crabs i think it's i think you lose with snake eyes right I mean, seven yeah, or eleven is what you're looking it's, for it's a, it's a, yeah it's a matter of time for you you know you roll snake eyes right when you're gambling when you look at gambling look at conor mcgregor Oof. <laughs> i mean <laughs> whatever man if my calves were that small they'd probably break when i stepped in the ring too 
<laughs> I hope he listens to this and he flies his fucking Irish ass out here. <laughs> He's got time on his hands. He might. So, yeah, we'll end it on this one. I know you're a big fight fan, Doug. Vicente, it's probably your next opponent. Kamara Usman, Colby Covington's going to happen. November will be here before you know it, but I figure that's the best thing we could talk about with Luke to end it. Are you go? Obviously, you're going to go Kamaru in that one, Vicente. I got to go Kamaru, and not only because I trained with him, and you know, uh, I definitely think he is at this moment the best welterweight out there. But also, I've seen a lot of improvement, you know, since he started working on his boxing. He showed it against uh, Gilbert. He showed it against Masvidal. So yeah, I think that. If the fight goes like the first one did, with where it was mostly boxing, a boxing match, I think Kamaru has the advantage. So I'm going to go with him for the win. I agree with everything you just said. I can't wait to see you put a belt on, motherfucker. <laughs> for sure, man. I, I can't wait for it either. Well, you have to treat me to churrascaria whenever you get that shit done. We'll fucking eat some salted steak and the polenta shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's the farofa, farofa. Yeah, farofa. <laughs> oh, we'll leave yeah. it at that. You guys, when we get off here, share this episode so Menace and the Man can blow up, and then we'll make it happen where we get Vicente down to Texas. You're in Texas right now, Doug? Oh, is it I'm in Carolina? North is Carolina, it? yeah, North Carolina. Ooh, so you're I'll go to far, Texas. So Vicente, when you come back to the States, we'll get Menace down here to North Carolina, and we'll go shoot some shit, do a live episode sure. or something like that. On down. Do and you see Vicente, we'll get some knowledge from Doug because he's got some world experiences yeah. that will blow our you fucking gotta, mind. You just got to promise not to fucking beat me up. I watch, no, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the chillest guy around. Everybody knows. You know, guys that train with me, they know I'm, I'm quiet, man. I'm not trying to beat anybody up ever. Yeah, the threat is kids and family. <laughs> oh, and Vicente, how great is it that I always say Gilbert is the nicest motherfucker. That Gilbert and Wonderboy, the other nicest motherfucker, they met each other and it's like, nah, I don't like this guy. Something about this guy. It's just not not feeling. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it was crazy. And I think the thing is when after uh, Wonderboy beat me, that was like really bad for Gilbert. He Gilbert hated said that. It was the you worst know? day of his life. Exactly. So, you know, after that, I think he never – uh, like Wonder Boy ever again. <laughs> so now, Damn, bro, you, that's a that's a good friend. You guys got to keep that going, and now you get that payback with Kamaro. For sure, that's Menace's boy. That's Menace's boy. Vicente's my guy. <laughs> Look at Dennis's face get all like, what? The fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean. Menace and him go way back. So, but we'll wrap this one up. I appreciate you, Vicente, for working with us. Menace was out there bike riding. He's trying to make a comeback in some grappling, so he's working out two, three times a day. Or bare knuckle fighting, who knows? And is he going to fight again? Yep, yep, yep. Or bare knuckle. Bare knuckle slid in the DM. The money's right. We'll just make YouTube videos making fun of that Jake kid, and you'll have a fight in no time. I told him he should try to fight a TikTok. He needs to make a TikTok account. (laughs) Right. That's the move. But Doug, you're the man. Vicente, you're the man. I appreciate the time, guys. Dennis, always a pleasure seeing you. Thank you guys. Later. Well, see you later. Hey, we need to link up. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to make this happen where we're going to come to Texas and we're going to shoot some shit. And he's not in Texas. North Carolina. North Carolina. Come to North Carolina. <laughs> I will. I will. I have all the ammo and all the guns. We'll go blow some shit up. It'll be fun. Beautiful.